Thanks for tuning in to the Crew at UGA podcast. We are so glad to have you with us. Crew exists to call students to know God, grow in their faith, and go to the world. If you would like to get more connected with Crew at UGA, or if we can help you in any way at all, go to the show notes and click on the link, or follow us on Instagram at Crew at UGA. All right, let's get started. Hey, I'm Flynn. Um, if you want to, you can pull up a picture of, of me back there. This is me and my wife. So, yeah, she's up, she's up, up there. So, yeah, my name's Flint. This is my wife, Madison. We just got to Athens uh, in March, so a great time to come during the pandemic. But we're here, and we're on staff with Crew. We've been working with them for the past four years, and that's all I have to say about myself. Now we're going to talk about Jesus. So, uh, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get in. So, Heavenly Father, you're worthy to be praised. I thank you that we can know you through your word. I thank you for sending your one, your one and only son into the world so we can know you. Please speak through me. Please use me. Amen. Okay. Whew. Cheers are already starting. <laughs> okay. Um, so, we're going to be in Luke today. Uh, but before we get in there, we're going to talk about an emotion. <laughs> Apathy. So, when Googled, apathy is defined as a lack of interest, enthusiasm, or concern. And so it means to feel indifferent towards something. Um, I don't know about y'all, but for me, uh, the thing I, most, I felt most apathetic towards in college were my classes. <laughs> and so, uh, especially one freshman year, I had a mandatory health class that I had to go to. And so I'm pretty sure me and all 300 students who went there all felt the same thing. We didn't want to be there. I doubt anyone woke up saying, oh man, I can't wait, it's health class day, let's go, right? No, um, I never said that, that's not gonna come out of my mouth. But the reality is we're not only apathetic towards classes, we can actually be apathetic towards people too. We can be apathetic towards our friends, we can be apathetic towards our family members, we can be apathetic towards the people we love most. Um, we can actually be apathetic towards God too. And so, the passage we're going to be looking at tonight actually addresses these feelings. And so we'll see that when you encounter Jesus by faith, our apathy is transformed into love. And so another way to say that is that when we encounter Jesus, when we truly meet him, um, our indifference is transformed into passionate action. That's passionate action. And so we're going to be in Luke 7, 36 to 50. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Um, it'll also be on the screen. Uh, again, it's Luke 7, 36 through 50. And I'll be picking up in verse 36, and we'll go through the entire thing. Okay. So when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the, the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had been invited, saw, invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. So Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. 
You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but instead, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to sing among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And so, just a little bit of context for this passage we just read. Is at this point in Luke's narrative, Jesus is still in the area of Galilee. So he's been going around, starting his ministry, and... Um, yeah, has been preaching the good news of the kingdom. And so we pick up with Jesus being invited to a Pharisee's house. He's going there to have dinner. Um, and so that kind of brings us up to Jesus' encounter with a woman. And so this woman's name is not actually given in the passage. We don't know who she is. The only identifier we have for her is that she was a woman who lived a sinful life. Um, and so the, the, the narrator doesn't actually disclose to us what identified her life, her life as sinful. Some people have speculated that she was a prostitute or that she was promiscuous because of her hair being down through her like cleaning Jesus' feet with her hair. Um, but, you know, whatever her sin was, the reality is that everyone in town knew that she was a sinner and she herself knew that she was a sinner too. Um, and so she had ultimately missed the mark of following God's plan for her life and was living a life of her own choosing. And so this is what a life of sin is. It's doing what you want rather than what God desires. And so what is a woman like this doing at a Pharisee's house? She would never be on the invite list. Why would she be there? We see in verse 37 that she was there to meet Jesus. Um, she said, so yeah, a woman in town who lives in life learns that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. She's going to see Jesus. That's, that's the important thing. That's why she's at the dinner. Um, and so what does she do when she gets there? She immediately just starts weeping and bawling. She can't control her emotions. She can't contain them. Um, she cries so much that Jesus' feet were wet from her tears. And so I think for us, that seems a little weird because when you think, oh, like a dinner, you're sitting at a table, you know, you're in chairs. But for them back in this day, the way they ate meals was they actually ate laying down on the floor. And so they'd eat with their heads pointed towards the table, um, using their elbows like pillows for support, and their feet would be behind them. And so that's why it says like the woman came up from behind, and that's why her tears are able to reach Jesus' feet. But not only does she cry on Jesus' feet, she is overcome with emotion and realizes what's happening and pulls her hair out from behind her and uses it, just proceeds to, to wipe Jesus' feet clean and then starts kissing him and, and pours perfume on them. Just like imagine you're there. You're, you're laying down across the table from Jesus, having a great conversation, learning some new things about God, um, literally sitting with God, eating dinner. And this woman just bursts into the room and is just overcome with emotion. She's just, just disheveled. And she can't contain herself. She approaches Jesus and proceeds to cry over his feet and gets down and does all these things. I, would, I don't think this is actually what she did on a regular basis. She's not going around every weekend to any dinner um, and doing this to other guys, other up-and-coming teachers, right? Um, so it, it's really because she had heard who Jesus was. She had heard that Jesus was going around healing people, curing them of diseases. She had heard that Jesus was interacting with people society had put away. Um, and so we saw this last week with, with Kyler up here talking about Jesus' encounter with the leper, how he touched him and cleansed him um, just by a touch. And we heard two weeks ago with Jesus' encounter with a Canaanite woman, a, a woman that society 
the Jewish society had turned away, um, how they had encountered Jesus. And so this woman's thinking to herself, if Jesus can encounter them, can I encounter Jesus too? Can I have that same experience? Um, and so for her, this woman, Jesus is everything. She didn't care what cultural norms were. She didn't care what society said about her or what they thought about her. She wanted to meet Jesus. She had to meet this man. Um, and so her actions actually speak louder than her words. She doesn't say a single thing in this entire story. We don't hear, you don't hear a word from her at all, but her actions speak louder than her words ever could have. Um, because it's one thing to say, you know, I'm sorry, but it's another thing to embody that sorrow, to embody that grief, and to really feel it and express it through your actions. Um, so that's what this woman is doing in her encounter with Jesus. When she encountered Jesus, she's transformed from a woman leading a sinful life into a new person. And so to kind of help illustrate this woman's encounter with Jesus, we're going to go back to third grade science class. Class just keeps coming up a lot. I know it's just you guys are in college, so it's probably going to come up all the time. Anyways, so how many of y'all actually made paper mache volcanoes in college? Yeah? Okay, cool. I, sorry, third grade. If you made them in college, that's cool too, but I guess they need class. So in third grade, so some people did that. Um, and so you have three pieces. You have obviously the paper to form the volcano. You have the baking soda and the vinegar. And so um, you need all those parts to really make a, a paper volcano. Uh, you can also add food coloring if you want to. That makes it, the lava effect really like play out. Um, and so when you mix the baking soda and the vinegar, that's when the reaction occurs. That's them meeting, encountering one another is what leads to just this great transformation. Um, and so this transformation is the same for us. It's true for us in our relationship with God. Um, and actually, when we encounter Jesus, we should experience an even greater transformation than what occurs between baking soda and vinegar mixing. Because um, when we encounter Jesus, we're going to be changed. So like said, maybe in another way, phrased differently, when we truly see who Jesus is and see what he has done for us, we won't be the same person we were before encountering him. Um, we're going to have a changed life. And the woman in the story, she knows this. She experiences it. Um, and what's true is we can experience that in our lives today. We can experience God um, through Christ, through his word, as well as through the Holy Spirit moving. Um, I mean, we sang the song, the Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. So he is here. Um, he's moving. Um, and so have you experienced Jesus in this way? Do you see Jesus as the woman does? That he is so monumentally important to you that you would break social, social norms, break cultural barriers to go and experience him, to truly ex see him, encounter him. Is he important to you? Because to the woman, meeting Jesus was the most important thing that she could do. So we're going to be moving from the woman and her encounter with Jesus to Simon and his encounter. And so Simon is a Pharisee. And to summarize what a Pharisee is, is a Pharisee was a Jewish priest who held very strictly to Old Testament laws. And so, sum it all up, Pharisees were the in crowd of Jewish culture. They were the, the people that Jews wanted to be, okay? Um, and so why would Simon, as a Pharisee, invite Jesus to a dinner? Because Jesus isn't a Pharisee. He, he didn't go and get trained to be a Pharisee. The reason is Simon was curious about Jesus. And so, Jesus has been causing up a stir with his ministry in Galilee. And Simon, he just wanted to get a look at the up and coming teacher. Maybe he just wanted to have him over for an event and have some like big wigs there as well and just kind of like show Jesus around. Um, 
And so Luke actually gives us a glimpse of Simon's thoughts in verse 39. So I'm going to pull mine back out. Um, yeah, it says, this is what Simon says to himself. If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Um, and so it's from his thoughts, it's kind of apparent, pretty apparent that Simon is sizing Jesus up. He's like assuming that Jesus isn't a prophet based off of Jesus allowing the woman to touch him. Um, Simon's basically saying to himself, you know, if I were Jesus, I would not let that woman touch me. She's, she's not allowed to get close to me. She's a sinner. Um, and in Simon's thoughts, he doubts that Jesus is a prophet. And he's actually right. Jesus isn't a prophet because Jesus is greater because he's not speaking as a man who has heard God speak. He's speaking as God himself. And so he doesn't need a spokesperson because he speaks for himself. Um, and so we're going to look uh, back to how Jesus answers Simon's thoughts, which is, again, shows that Jesus is divine, that he, he knows what Simon is thinking and is able to respond. And so we're going to be turning to verse 41. We're looking up verse 41. Um, and so Jesus' parable to Simon was, two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. And so just, we keep going in and out. But a denarii is basically the context for it is it's a, it's a day's wage for them. Uh, and to put that kind of into our modern perspective, this would be like someone owing the bank $42,000 and $4,200. And so that's pretty significant debt, especially the $42,000 one. Um, yeah, and so continuing in verse 42, neither of them had money to pay him back, and so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? And so this parable given by Jesus is meant to show how both Simon and the woman needed him, how they needed to be forgiven for their sins. They were both in debt. Um, and so I, I want to make this really clear. Based off of this parable, it can seem like, obviously, the, the woman's represented by the greater debtor and Simon's represented by the lesser. And so it can seem like the woman's sins were greater or that the woman had more sins or that they were, she was worse off than the Pharisee. Um, but that's not the case. The reason she's represented by the greater debtor is not because her sins were greater, but because she, saw, she actually saw the magnitude of her sins. You don't need, you just need to sin once to be eternally separated from God because falling short once is not perfect and God is perfect. Um, so, so ironically, Simon, he's, he can identify the sins of the woman but he can't identify his own sins. He can't see his own sin, his own need for Jesus. Um, and his response like, truly reflects that um, because Jesus asks him the question, who's going to love him more? And he responds with, you know, the one who, I suppose, the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. And so he gives the right answer, but his attitude is not behind the answer um, because to Simon, encountering Jesus wasn't life-changing. It was just another dinner. Um, he wasn't interested in getting to know Jesus more deeply because he honestly didn't see his need to. Simon was apathetic towards Jesus, and he viewed Jesus more as a novelty rather than a necessity. And so to illustrate this, my junior year in college, I used to work for a trampoline park. You know, college jobs, you gotta do them. <laughs> and so, um, funny story, uh, during one of my shifts, I landed and dislocated my ankle. Um, and so you know how your foot like, looks like this? Mine was like this, but my leg was still straight. Um, and there's a picture of me in the wheelchair. Yeah. So, um, yeah, luckily when that happened, there was a guy on, on staff there who knew what to do. He 
bandage my ankle up, put it in that thing, whatever it is. Um, and then also, M Madison also works at the, the jump park, and so she was able to give me a ride to the hospital. So this is me in the hospital, in the hospital chair, and then the next picture is me after surgery. Uh, I say surgery, they put me under because my foot was so sideways, they had to literally put me under and then move my foot back. Um, yeah, pretty gross. Uh, it's probably the most pain I've ever felt in my entire life. Um, just not trying to undercut it, but yeah, it's, it was terrible. So imagine if that happened, right? And then, I, you know, people were like, oh no, you need to go to the hospital. What if I would have said like, eh, I'm okay, I'll be fine. You know, just take me home, let me sleep it off. I'll probably be good. Like, we can go on a hike, on, we can probably go hiking tomorrow. Like, it'll be fine, right? Um, if I would have said that to Madison, she probably would have assumed I was delirious from the pain um, or I was in shock uh, because it was obvious I needed to go to the hospital to get this fixed. This thing wasn't gonna heal itself. Um, and so, just as I needed to go to the hospital for my ankle to be fixed, we all actually have a greater illness and it's sin. Um, if we don't see our sin, our debt, we don't see how dangerous and, and bad and detrimental it is to us, then we're not gonna see our need for a savior. And so this is why Simon responds to Jesus with apathy. It's not because he's a good person or all these different things. It's because he doesn't see his own sin. He doesn't see his need for a savior. Um, and so when you, you actually, when you keep Jesus at a distance, you're gonna stay apathetic. Um, and so said more clearly, when we don't see our need for Jesus, then nothing is gonna change in our life. Nothing in our, is gonna change in our relationship with him either. Um, because there's no reason to change. There's no motivation to change. You need to encounter him to experience that change. Um, and so where are you at in your relationship with Christ? Do you see him as your savior? Do you see your personal need for him? Or is your response look more like Simon's? Is he just cool to come over for dinner, but then afterwards, see you later, Jesus. Um, and the cure for apathy is actually not trying harder, not trying to like Jesus more, not trying to be a better Christian or just kind of ignore it. The actual cure for apathy is faith. We're gonna see how that, that plays out in the, the last section of our passage. And so this final section is centered on Jesus' response to both Simon and the woman. And so in Jesus' time, a little bit of context, there were certain things a host would do to express hospitality to guests. And so he like lists off these different things out um, in verse 44 and following verses. And so basically was, you had a bowl of water for guests to wash their feet. You would greet guests with a kiss. And so that seems a little weird to us because we don't go around kissing people, especially during COVID. Um, that you just, people you don't eat, you don't typically do that. Um, but in our culture, this would be the same thing of like giving someone a handshake or giving them a fist bump. Um, and then finally, you anoint them with oil, which is a way to just show like honor to your guest. And so hosts weren't required to do these things, but they were meant to show you cared about your guest. And so Simon, as the host, had apparently done none of these things for Jesus. Um, he didn't offer Jesus a basin of water to wash his feet or greet him with a kiss or anoint him with oil. Um, and Jesus actually points all this out using the sinful woman's actions because she actually goes above and beyond what a host was supposed to do in, every, in all three of these categories. Instead of giving Jesus a basin to wash his feet, she cleans his feet with her, with his, with her tears and uses her hair to, to wipe his feet. Just like a side tangent, guys, like Jesus has been walking around Galilee, like doing ministry nonstop. His feet are probably disgusting, right? And just like being real, like she's down there and her hair is probably just covered in grime after doing this. 
Um, but she didn't care. She, she was so thankful for her encounter with Christ that this is how she expressed it. Um, instead of giving a, a kiss of greeting to Jesus, she gives him a greater kiss by kissing his feet nonstop. Actually, in Jesus' retelling of the story, he says that as soon as he's entered the building um, or Simon's house, that she, the woman has not stopped kissing his feet. And so she doesn't give him one kiss, but there's multiple. Um, and again, she also, instead of pouring oil on Jesus' head, she anoints his feet with expensive perfume. And so instead of using just standard olive oil, she uses perfume that is uh, much more rich and expensive. And so the woman might not have been the host of the house, but she tre- treated Jesus with more honor and hospitality than the actual host ever did. Um, and Jesus points all these actions out to Simon and concludes by saying in verse 47, Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. This is why the woman had treated Jesus with hospitality, and with such hospitality because she had received forgiveness for her sins. She had received in Christ what her heart had been searching for, acceptance, forgiveness, love. And Jesus announces that her sins have been forgiven, not once, but actually twice. He does it to Simon, he announces it, hey, her sins are forgiven. He announces it to her directly, your sins are forgiven. Um, And so this repetition isn't by happenstance. When repetition happens in the Bible, the author's trying to draw your attention that something important just happened. And so, um, Luke wants his audience to be very clear and know that Jesus is able to forgive sins and he had forgiven sins um, for this woman. And the response of the other guests show the atmosphere of the room. I mean, you can hear it in their question. Who is this man who even forgives sins? Who is this who can forgive sins? Because they knew there's only one person who can forgive sins, and that's God. The reason for that is because sins are direct injustice to him. And so for him, anyone else to forgive sins, it's not, their, it's not their role. They can't forgive something that's been done to them or done, that hasn't been done against them when it's been done against God directly. Um, and so Jesus proclaiming that her sins are forgiven is him proclaiming that he is God. He's making a divinity claim. Um, he's saying, I have the power and the authority to forgive sins and I have done so for this woman. Um, and at a cursory glance, it seems that this woman is saved by her actions. She it seems like she comes in, does all these things, and then gets salvation. Um, it seems that her showering Jesus with honor is what saves her. But again, again, in verse 50, Jesus makes it very clear. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Um, and so it's not her actions that save her, but her attitude. And um, she's not saved by works, but she's saved by her faith. Um, so that she's, not washing, she's not saved by washing Jesus' feet or anointing them with perfume or giving him tons and tons of kisses. Um, she's saved by her faith. But faith is a really hard word in our culture. We have kind of muddled it, and we don't really know what it means. We kind of say, like, you know, just have faith, or my faith is important to me, my faith this, my faith that. Um, but what does faith mean? What is it? And so we have this analogy. Um, I have this analogy that I use all the time that I learned from my discipler. He probably learned it from his discipler. who learned it from his discipler, just whoever came up with it. probably smarter than me. Um, but it's called the chair analogy. So I've been sitting on this stool. It's been holding me up pretty well. And I'm going to use this analogy to kind of um, show kind of the difference between faith and, and belief, right? Um, this guy's already nodded his head, so he probably knows it. No? Okay. <laughs> Which is cool. Which is okay. It's a great analogy. It's super simple. Um, so the difference between faith and belief is I can say I believe that this stool will hold me up, right? That's belief. I don't have faith until I actually sit down on the stool. Okay, I'm going to sit down on it. Hopefully it doesn't break. 
Okay. Cool. That's faith. So, belief or faith is belief that's been expressed through actions. And so, um, belief that is, is important, it's very vital. You know, what you believe is true is important. Um, but if you don't express what you believe, then that's not faith. That's just wishful thinking. Um, faith is basically just putting your money where your mouth is. If you say, I believe this, then your actions are going to line up with what you believe. Um, and so I think it's a pretty simple analogy. All it requires is a stool. You can use a chair or a bench. You don't even need them because everyone knows what a chair is. And so you can just say a chair and people will be like, oh yeah, a chair. Um, but I think it's a great analogy to show like the difference between belief and faith and how belief is, or faith is belief that's been put into action, basically. And so with this definition of faith, how does that impact you? Does it affirm how you already view your relationship with Christ? Or is this more of a completely new way of viewing your relationship? Does the defini definition of faith cause you to feel overburdened? You're like, oh great, and one more thing I gotta do. Now I gotta do all these things. Um, I just wanna encourage you, remind you, that's not your works that save you. It's, it is only the finished work of Christ that you are saved. Um, and so you're not working to save yourself, but you are instead trusting in the one who's already gained salvation for you. Um, and you're putting, your actions will reflect that trust. And so, that reality is what enables us to express our belief through action, to have faith. Because when we encounter Jesus, we should respond with faith. Said another way, when we realize that Jesus has given, what Jesus has given us, we should respond with passionate action. And so, just a fun tidbit, the woman in this story had already heard what Jesus had done, who he was, before she gets there and starts weeping. And so, she's already saved before she gets there because she's taking action with her faith. And then Christ affirms it by saying, you are forgiven. Um, she trusted that Christ was who she had heard about and expressed that through her actions. And so to the woman, Jesus was her treasure, more valuable than her perfume, more than her past life, and more than what others had thought of her. Is that how you see Jesus? Is he more valuable than anything else in your life? Is he your treasure? Are there other areas or things in your life that you put above him, above him? Because if there is anything in your life that you value more than Christ, it's going to be reflected in your actions. And if you value Christ, if he's your true treasure, then your actions will reflect that. And again, these actions aren't because you have to, you know, it's because you want to. We don't do these good works, we don't do these good things to gain a relationship with Christ. We do them because of the relationship, we do them because of the relationship we already have with Christ. And so, to the rest of the people at this dinner, the woman was a sinner. But to Jesus, the woman was forgiven. She was no longer defined by her sins, but was defined by the one who she put her trust in. And her response to Jesus is a model for our own response. Because when we truly encounter Jesus, when we see the love he has shown us, when we see um, our desperate need for him, then we're not gonna stay the same. And so an encounter with Christ will transform your life. And so do you, do, you, do you resonate with this woman? Do you, your actions line up with her actions? Um, or, you know, if they do, then your actions are going to reflect this encounter. Um, but if not, maybe you're more so like Simon. You're more apathetic in, in your response to Jesus. And, and just like Simon, his apathy is reflected through his actions. Um, if, you know, again, Simon didn't see his need for Jesus. He didn't see his sin. And if he doesn't see his sin, then he's 
not going to see his need for a savior. What need does he have if he's not in trouble, right? Um, and he was just content to invite Jesus into his home, but not to the rest of his life. And so the end result of their encounter with Jesus is that the woman actually leaves forgiven, whereas Simon's fate is unknown. He's not mentioned anywhere else in the Gospel of Luke. He's not mentioned in any other Gospels. And so we don't know what happened to Simon. Um, but we do know what happened to the woman, and she left forgiven and in peace. And so, do you resonate with Simon more? Is he... Um, is his actions reflect yours? Um, do you see Jesus as just being a cool guy, but you don't really see your need to have a personal relationship with him? Are you content to just come to different Christian events, um, but really not live it out in the rest of your life? So I'm content to see Jesus for a night, but then all the other nights just doing whatever you want. Is Jesus, are you okay with seeing Jesus being your savior? You know, you want eternal life, but you're not content with him being your Lord and having control over your life here and now. Um, yeah, and I think this is our natural tendency to respond like Simon, to be apathetic towards Christ as opposed to being uh, faithful like the woman. Um, because we're blind to our need. It's, we think we have everything going well. Like, why would we need a Savior? Everything's okay. Um, but the reality is that an encounter with Jesus is something that everyone needs whether they realize it or not. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so a wage is a payment. And so the payment for sin is death. And so this isn't just physical death. This is e eternal death. This is eternal separation from God. Um, but God, being rich in mercy, sent his son, his only son, to take the payment for your sins upon himself so you can know him now and forever. And that's why encountering Christ is so important. If you're here this evening and never encountered Christ like the woman in this passage, come talk to me. Talk to another staff member. Talk to someone who you came with um, and ask them how you can encounter Christ because you can encounter him tonight. Um, and we, that's our heart desire. The whole reason crew exists is for people to know Christ and experience him. That's what we want y'all to do is to experience and encounter Christ. And also, for me, when I first came to college, I was actually an atheist. Um, I was like Simon. I didn't see my need for a savior. I didn't see my sin, and I was apathetic towards him. But God was so rich and kind to me, and he put the people in my life so I could encounter him. That's just so cool. Jesus is awesome. And so encountering Jesus in college is, what, is why I'm here. It's the whole reason I'm up here, talking is because I encountered Christ. So it is life-changing. It's not just a story. It's not just a book. It is real life. It has real meaning, and it has eternal significance. And so, again, the same can happen for you. And so I wanted to close with the song we sang earlier. I'm like, I'm not going to sing. <laughs> so don't worry. Some of you guys, no, no. I just play bass. Don't ask me to sing. And so I'll, I'll read it. And so... It's, it's when I think that God, his son not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in. That on the cross, my burden gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin. So then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art, how great thou art. Jesus, you are great. You are worthy to be praised. You are mighty. 
and powerful, Lord. We thank you that we can encounter you, that we can know you fully and truly. We thank you that you forgive us for our sins, that you took the payment and of our sins upon yourself. We thank you that we don't have to earn salvation through our works, that we don't have to measure up, but that we, we can freely get, receive it through your work, through the work you already did, through the work you've completed, as you said on the cross, it is done, it is finished. So Lord, we thank you that we can encounter you and know you. We pray that you would use us, guide us, and shepherd us, that you would make yourself known here at UGA, that you make yourself known across the world, and that all people will praise you.